John chapter 12, verses 26 through 28. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Powerful words, powerful words there by our Lord Jesus and his Father. Let's pray to both of them once again, bowing our heads together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and privilege to be together this morning in fellowship. We thank you, Father, for the word that you feed each willing one, each receiving one, Father, that we might be strengthened and grown in faith, strengthened and grown in understanding, Father, strengthened and grown even in love for you. Father, these things should come easy because of who you are and what you've done. But Lord, we're fleshly beings. Help us to lean into our new creation, to learn more of you and to grow in that, Father, and draw nearer to you in it. We give you the glory this morning. Be glorified, Father. Let that be our purpose, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're churchy people. (laughs) I've been called churchy before. I've heard that adjective a number of times. You're a churchy kind of guy, aren't you? Uh, Okay, that's fine. I am a churchy kind of person. and Well, along with being churchy are certain practices, certain habits, certain pieces of vocabulary that maybe other unchurchy people don't have. And glory is one of those terms that churchy people use a lot. Glory, glorify, glorification, glorified. We use glory, I think, probably a lot more than other people do, and I'm okay with that. You know, in, in the secular world, if you want to call it that, and just the outside of the spiritual context, people consider glory from time to time, but think about when we use that term. Usually it's about athletic accomplishments. Usually it's about wartime uh, achievements, wartime feats of heroism and that sort of thing, that there's glory in that. There's, uh, man, there's glory in winning the Super Bowl. There's glory in, in being a pop star. There's glory in, in these great accomplishments that, that the world looks at and says, man, there's, there's power and fame and riches and glory in that. But just talking naturally speaking, it doesn't come up very often. Glory and glorification. Uh, perhaps the most common time that we use it is actually in a derogatory sense. And for an example, I remember when I was a kid and uh, President Bush, the first one, George Bush, he had a, uh, his vice president when he was president was Dan Quayle, if you remember. Not a lot of nice things were said about Dan Quayle. He was kind of the whipping boy for, for a lot of different things. But I remember, even in my relative youth, hearing someone, and it stuck with me, them calling him essentially a glorified secretary is what they said. They called him a glorified secretary to, to the president. Whatever you think of Quayle, it doesn't matter. They were speaking derogatorily of him. They were saying, you are being vaunted and lifted up to a place that your work is not commensurate with, that your efforts and the results of your work is not commensurate with well, with what, what you're actually doing. And so it's derogatory to him. And when you think about it, it's also kind of derogatory to the secretary because you're saying that her place is actually, I said her, that was very genderist of me, wasn't it? His or her place, whatever the case may be, that a secretary is a lesser place. So all of that just to say, when we, when we talk about glory and glorifying things outside of the things of God, It tends to be pretty limited and finite in what we apply it to. But not us, not here in this place. And I'm speaking simply in broad terms this morning. We're looking at broad strokes. This is not a a simple focus, take this purpose and look into this and find the meaning of words and this and that. That's not the type of lesson that we're looking at this morning. It is simply for the glory of the Lord that we're considering. For the glory of God. It's something that... Every lesson that we consider, every study that you have on your own is going to, at least in some measure, in some part, going to push you and compel you into glorifying God with your life, glorifying God with your purposes, glorifying God in your intentions and all of these things to glorify him. It's not something that we're unfamiliar with. We have assemblies that are named. There are are lots of churches and assemblies named for glory. There are 
you know, publications that, that we've had, the glorious gospel, El Evangelio Glorioso, I, I butchered that, but that's the glorious gospel, right, in Spanish, right? Uh, the Grace and Glory, our books, if you look at these brown books, Grace and Glory hymns, right? Hymnal or something along those lines. We know <laughs> glory is nothing, nothing unfamiliar to us. Uh, I remember watching Brother, well, unfortunately it was watching him mostly when I was a kid, watching Brother Carson Richards preach one time. And it was the most demonstrative I'd ever seen the man because he was rather kind of prim and I didn't hear him raise his voice very often. And he gave a, what must have been powerful, I didn't take a lot from it because I wasn't paying attention at the time, but he closed his Bible and he went, glory. (laughs) <laughs> snatched that Bible off the pulpit. And I was like, whoa, Brother Richards is feeling it, you know, this, this morning or this evening. Glory is something familiar to us. Glory is something that means something to the child of God. And glorifying God is something that should be familiar to us. It's right in being a part of our makeup and a part of our fabric. When we speak about glorifying, we don't talk about diminutive things. We don't talk about disparaging things. When we talk about glorifying or someone being glorified, we're talking about a blessing and we're talking about something being built up and particularly when we talk about glorifying the Almighty God. Not derogatory. It is an honorific type thing. And so we know when we talk about glorifying God, the reason why it is such a part of our makeup is because it's entirely just and in all honesty, it's entirely necessary to glorify God. A number of different words are translated and support this thought in Scripture. The Hebrew word is kabod. It's where that name Ichabod comes from. It means splendor and magnificence. In the Greek, most often it's doxa. Uh, you might know the, the word doxology or that song that's printed in the back of our blue book, I believe. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. So on and so forth. It comes from that word. That means Glory, that means honor and dignity and high regard and all of those things. And when we take that and we talk about glorifying something, it means simply to take that glory and to offer it to someone or to place it on someone or to look at something or someone and esteem that to be glorious. So saints, this morning simply, (laughs) we're going to glorify God by considering glorifying God. That's what it comes down to. Super simple, like I said, very broad strokes type of consideration this morning. But we're going to put our arms around the concept of the glory of the Lord. Uh, Specifically, just in order to kind of keep things kind of, well, ordered, three questions. I do number my, my, my points from time to time on Sunday mornings, it seems. We're going to consider why we should glorify God, just so that I can get... You know, get your mind going that direction. We're going to consider who can glorify God and who should glorify God. And we're going to consider how to do it. So all of these things, I'm confident you have your own answers for and they wouldn't be wrong. You have your own approach to and it's not going to be wrong provided the Lord directs you in those things. But we're going to consider all of that together this morning as we glorify the Lord in considering glorifying God. Now, um... You can be turning to Psalm chapter 86 or Psalm number 86 for our first passage there, but I'll let you in on a little family secret here. We have a little, uh, it's a movie line. You can see me after service if you don't know what I'm talking about, and probably most of you won't, but there's a line that we beat to death in our house, but I'm going to make a fool of myself, but it is what it is. Sometimes I do foolish things, but we oftentimes say, don't you want a little taste of the glory, is what we say. (laughs) See what it tastes like. And I do it with that Latin, Latin uh, flair intentionally because that's what the movie, well, depicts. A little taste of the glory. <laughs> We're oftentimes looking for a little taste of the glory and, and those things that I mentioned a moment ago, those heroic moments. And, you know, people are always driving to win and to accomplish things in their respective fields. They want to win the Super Bowl and that sort of thing. They want to be that pop star and... You know, it's, we're always looking, it seems, for a little taste of the glory. And we do glorify those things. And I think that that's a justified term, that taste of the glory. Listen, man, Nick said the other day on Sunday night, he talked about speaking into the universe. Well, I think I spoke Taylor Swift into my universe. Because if you remember back in July, 
I gave a lesson about things that are treasured and how people have treasured those tickets when she came for a concert. And it seems that ever since I mentioned that, my news feed is jam-packed with Taylor, with Taylor Swift. Now, I guide and shape my news feed. It's what I consider the newspaper that I used to open up every single morning, open my newspaper and just see what's going on. I have a news feed that I go to, and I'm careful with what I have coming into that. Horoscopes, I get rid of those things, you know, and I shape the, the algorithm that brings me certain things. But, this is going to shock you, I do have certain stories regarding the NFL and the Chiefs coming to me. That's part of my feed. I want to see what's going on with my team. Well, she's going on with my team, man. <laughs> you know, and so it seems like I'm getting more stuff from People Magazine and more stuff from, you know, Us Magazine and these things that I've never, I've never read, not interested in reading. But you look at these things, I'm like, man, this girl is, she's huge, man. And Travis Kelsey, all of a sudden, he's worldwide, he's global and all of these things. And you're like, man, that is just next level type of awareness of these people. They're getting a little taste of the glory. That's not a taste, Greggy, that's huge. That, that's massive. No, no, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, in, well, when George is my age, He'll remember who Travis Kelsey is, but I bet you most people won't. Most people won't have a clue. And you know what else? Most people, believe it or not, will have forgotten who Taylor Swift is. It's a taste of the glory. There's just a taste. It doesn't matter if there are billions that are out there. The glory that comes with those things, it's just a taste. Super Bowl champions are forgotten. You, you could look at Wheaties boxes over the course of the last 40 years, and I guarantee you most people in here wouldn't recognize and know who 90% of them were there. The glory that we look at, naturally speaking, is fleeting. And the shine comes off of such things very, very quickly. Uh, God is worth glorifying. That was our first question. Why should God be glorified? Well, because of everything that he's done that isn't just a taste of the glory. It's deep, broad, powerful things, as we consider so very often. Psalm 86 um, I can take you to, I mean, a billion different passages in Scripture that depict the power and the might and the wonder of the Almighty God. Psalm 86 is just one that, well, felt like the Spirit was telling me to go there. So there it is. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, David says. Nor are there any works like your works. And when he says that, he means that. He says, you're peerless. You are absolutely without equal, without anyone that can accomplish a smidgen of what you can do. There was a big deal there for a while, uh, probably still is, but I just don't pay attention to it anymore, about cloning and all of those things. Remember when they cloned that sheep? I think her name was Daisy or Dolly or something. I don't know. Clony. I don't remember what her name was. People were making a big deal about it. You had religious folks that were standing up on their soapboxes saying, this is wrong, this is it, you're playing God, and etc., etc. The fact of the matter is, that whatever they're doing, I mean, they might feel like they are godlike, but they didn't take dirt and bring it together, <laughs> squish it all together, and uh, do the first appearance of mouth to mouth, as it were, <laughs> breathing breath into that thing that was a pile of dust and make it a man. Uh, you're not going to equal what he does. All nations whom you have made as a result shall come and worship before you, Lord David goes on, and shall glorify your name. How come? For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. That's it. God says elsewhere, I believe in Isaiah, he says, I am the one true God. I am the one and only. There is no God beside me. Certain people, even people who live and operate under the banner of Christianity, will oftentimes say, you know what? It might not just be that it's just our God. He might be one of many that are out there, but it doesn't matter because he's our God. God says, there's no one else out here. It's me. That's that. That's it. So I take him at his word for it. Uh, you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are, are God. That's what David says. And so scripture confirms this and, and, and speaks at length of his works and his wonders and his power and his might and his love and his grace and his mercy. And listen, he should be glorified for that in and of itself. That's it. But God's word also gets very personal. It's beyond just what he's created and beyond just his power. He gets very personal for you and me. Individually, he speaks to us. 
Well, and he presents why I believe that he's worthy of being glorified just by Greg Gravitt. And so we turn to Micah chapter 7. Again, a number of different passages I could take you to, but I'll give you this one. Um, it demonstrates what he means to his children or should mean to his children just as individuals. Micah says this in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18. He says, who is a God like you? Always a valid question. <laughs> Always a valid question, a valid ponderance. Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And Scott mentioned this one along the same lines this morning. Psalm 103, verse 10, David once again says something very similar to this. He has not dealt with us and and. And he's speaking broadly to all of us, certainly. But you can put yourself in this in a very first-person, individual place. He has not dealt with me according to my sins. Nor punished me according to my iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgression from me. East and west are opposites. If you think about the earth as a globe, here's Kansas City right in the middle. West is this way for you all. I'm doing this backwards. That's talent there. Here's east going this way. So east and west go this way. And you know what? Ne'er the twain shall meet, honestly, even on the backside where you say, well, here they are back together. No, it's a continuous infinite. It's an eternal. Go on a single plane, east, west being that way, east being this way. They're opposite from one another as far as the east is from the west as far as black is from white as far as hot is from cold all of these things polar opposites as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us need i go on to consider the individual blessing that he is for me and for you our god is real our god is love and grace Our God is the sole almighty being out there. He's worth loving. He's worth respecting. He's worth glorifying. I've never understood why people, people in false religion and and these idolatrous uh, systems where they're looking for all of these different individual gods and individual saints and individual entities to put their trust in and put their affections toward. And if you look at their stories of these different ones, I studied Roman and Greek mythology in school, really enjoyed it because I like adventure stories and narratives. (laughs) That's what they were. They weren't good people. Even these so-called gods that these ones actually believed and trusted in to a certain measure. They weren't good individuals. They weren't anything that, even if there was truth to them, you kind of be like, I'll do this because I have to. God... Who he is, he makes me want to glorify him because I want to. That's who he is. He's remarkable. He's amazing. He's love. He's grace. He's all these things. Why should we glorify God for all these reasons and more? Is because, well, he's worthy of glorifying. He deserves it. He deserves our exalting and lifting him up. I think that that's absolutely understood. Now, it doesn't just, well, it doesn't just matter. It doesn't solely matter that He deserves it, although that's enough, right? There are more reasons why. One in particular, in case we needed any more reason, in case we needed any more support, other than just that he deserves it, is that, well, sometimes, man, I'm talking all kinds of chiefs this morning, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, what does he do? He, if you watch a game, well, you don't even have to be watching a game. You can see him anywhere on TV these days. He pawns State Farm. He pawns Subway. He pawns Oakleys. He pawns all kinds of different things. So what's the whole purpose? When I say pawn, that's kind of diminishing him, isn't it? He endorses these things, right? He endorses these things. And so the whole concept behind it is, well, hey, man, if, if Patrick Mahomes eats a cold-cut combo, well, then why, why wouldn't I have a cold-cut? That, that does it for me. Give me a cold-cut combo because number 15, obviously, right? State Farm, well, he... <laughs> He insures his car and his home, no question, through State Farm Insurance. And that's his agent there. Sign me up, State Farm Insurance. Guess who my insurance company is, by the way. It is State Farm, but it was before Patrick 
Patrick Mahomes did. Uh, shameless plug for State Farm for some reason. That being said, it's an endorsement, right? It's, the whole, it's one of the oldest concepts of advertising and that sort of thing is get someone with a big name that people like or follow or glorify and we'll pay them a measure of money so that, well, the measure of money that comes in from their attracting that business and attracting that market share will exceed what we pay them. Well, listen, Jesus isn't paid anything, but Jesus endorses glorifying his Father. Do you know what I mean by what I mean when I say that? He says, I glorify my Father. You should too. <laughs> and he's not getting paid for it. He's not saying it because he's getting a paycheck. We can look at Jesus, and this might sound silly to you to put him in an endorsement type of position, but it's what he does. He says, Look who I am. Not the defending Super Bowl champions quarterback. Not the greatest talent in this small segment of any kind of uh, historical value. Man, let's just, let's just stop with the Chiefs talk, alright? I'm the Son of God. The Son of God. The Christ. The Messiah. The perfect one. The righteous one. The loving one. The Redeemer. Lamb of God. I don't make mistakes. He doesn't brag like I might sound like I am right now. But that's what he... I don't make mistakes. I don't make errors. Not because I'm hoity-toity or anything, but because I understand perfectly what righteousness is, what holiness is, what love is. I am the Son of God. Look what I'm doing. I'm glorifying my Father. Don't believe me? Read our passage here in John chapter 12 and verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. Now, we're going to kind of put aside, put aside what he's talking about here, not because it's not important, but because I'm looking at this passage to kind of steer us in a different direction. Take us along this uh, consideration we're doing this morning. But he's talking about his crucifixion, right? He's talking about his coming death. He's talking about specifically the bearing of the sin of all mankind. And he says, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Uh, the other day I said that I was angry at soccer because of extra time. I don't know if everyone was here or if anyone <laughs> remembers my saying that. I need to amend that. I wasn't really angry. I was more than anything kind of joking. Uh, but you can get kind of spun with different things. And you can get kind of spun and. When I look at people try to explain what the Lord Jesus is saying here in this passage, how they adjust these question marks and shape it in a different way to make it look like Jesus was kind of a quivering mass of fear and going back and forth so that we might justify our own wishy-washiness in the things of God, our own being tossed back and forth, uh, stirred by every wind of doctrine, that sort of thing. They present the Son of God as being one who faltered and wavered. And because, well, because he found it within himself to go on and press forward, that, well, we can go on and press forward. You know what? I'm not taking anything away from Jesus. I mean, understand me. I know that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he, he, he needed to be strengthened in the garden. Needed to be strengthened by the Lord. He needed to be built up, and I know that there was a burden that was there, and I know that he was a man, and he dealt with all the temptations that I deal with and that you deal with and all those things, but he sinned not. And doubt is a sin. Discouragement, not trusting the Lord, is a sin. To step outside of the will of God is a sin. And Jesus never did any one of these things. He had his troubles. He had those things that troubled him, as he says. But what he's saying here is exactly, I believe, as it's presented here in this version. What am I going to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, I'm not going to say that. I will not say that. I came for this hour. This is my purpose. Sorry for screaming. <laughs> That's what Jesus said. This is the reason why I came. And he didn't falter for that. What am I going to say? Jesus asks rhetorical questions throughout his word. All, all through Scripture. What am I going to say? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And even though it starts another paragraph in my Bible, I think it goes right on into the thought that he's talking about. For this purpose I came to this hour. Not just to go to the cross, but for this. Father, glorify your name. That's what I'm looking for. 
That's what my purpose is here. I don't want to be saved from this hour in which I might glorify, lift up, and exalt your name. For that purpose, the cross, his death, the bearing of sin, the satisfaction of the righteousness and holiness of his father's uh, judgment and demands. The needs, actually. Jesus' continual desire as he walked this earth was certainly to rescue all of God's people. But in doing so, he was looking to honor and glorify his Father. And he endorsed his Father's being exalted and glorified from the very, well, from the outset, from the beginning. We can see all kinds of places. John 14, 3. I'm just going to spin you through these a couple, a couple of these real fast. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. How come? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. See there? Look, he's looking for his own exaltation. How come? That your Son also may glorify you. Every purpose that the Lord had, every purpose was in order that he might point to his Father and glorify him. In Luke chapter 17, we have the account of those ten lepers that Jesus well, came upon, healed those ten, sent them on their way. One came back. One came back, right? In Luke chapter 17, I'm giving you the wrong one there. Well, I don't have Luke chapter 17, but here's what happened. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner when one of them came back? Nine kept on going. He was expecting that there would be glory given. To his father, not to him who who healed, but to God. And then Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, when his disciples asked him, "How, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And he says, well, pray in this manner. And he gave him that model prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So on and so forth. And he outlined and framed this prayer that should kind of direct the vast majority of our prayers, the the makeup of it, not the words of it, not vain repetition, the makeup of it and the concepts and the themes that are involved there and the required things in honoring the Lord. And he finishes it just like that in, in chapter 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he's speaking to his father who is in heaven. He told them, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. Why should we glorify God? Because Jesus, the Christ, the perfect one, the righteous one, sinless one, the one who has made a pattern and example for us to follow in all things, if not to match him 100%. We're we're supposed to endeavor to do that, right? Because he endorsed it. He endorses his father to be glorified. Jesus made it his every purpose. Not only was it his purpose, it was his joy, it was his honor, it was his peace, it was his satisfaction. It was his contentment to glorify his Father in everything that he did. And saints, what Jesus found worthy of doing, I think I should find worthy of doing. What Jesus made effort to do, I think that I should make effort to do. Which is, well, leading us to our second question this morning. Who can glorify God? I guess I could say who should glorify God. Well, go back to that same passage that we looked, that we began with. Who can share this purpose with the Lord Jesus that he had? In John 26, the first part of that verse, John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. Now certainly, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He speaks of that, well, that heavenly city that he has. That heavenly home that he has, that he invites us to. Series recording everything that I'm saying. I'm not sure that should give a good return from Google. Uh, The Lord Jesus definitely prepared a heavenly place for us. But he says even in this natural life, in what you're doing right now, if anyone serves me, follow my purposes even here. That where I am, where's my mindset? Where's my, where's my focus and where is my purpose? Where my mindset is, if you follow me, if you're my disciple, then you will share that same mindset with me. We have the mind of Christ we read in Paul's writings. He says, let him follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. Whoever follows Jesus, whoever follows Jesus has Christ within him. Whoever follows Jesus should have a shared purpose. And for that purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Who can glorify God? Anyone who follows Jesus can and should glorify God. We call ourselves Christians. That means of Christ or pertaining to Christ or relating to Christ. We have a lot of people who claim that name of Christian. Well, the Christ that they claim is a different one than I see in Scripture. But that being said, if you know who Jesus is and you have him truly within you and you have believed and he is your God, then, well, you can and should glorify his Father as he does. That's who we are. Whoever follows him, we're followers of Christ. Romans 15 and verse 5. Romans 15 and verse 5. Paul was given to teach us how we are to follow the Lord Jesus, how we're to share that purpose with him. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded one or toward one another. You being well, the people in Rome certainly, but they were believers in Rome as we're believers here in Lee Summit. May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't dismiss Jesus, but it does point to His Father, doesn't it? We glorify His Father with Jesus, through Jesus. There is a very clear uh, separation of some measure pointing to the Father, the overseer, the one that Jesus submits to. That's Paul's, pur- that's Paul's purpose is to point us towards Jesus' purpose that we might share that purpose in glorifying the Father. To God alone, Paul goes on in Romans 16 in the next chapter. Romans 16, 27, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. He is the means, he's the method, he's the one who shed his blood to open up that pathway that we might honor his Father along with him. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen, Philippians 4.20 says. I don't see any way around the, well, the very real truth that we need to glorify our Father with Jesus. That that's what His purpose is. And He wants us to share that purpose with Him. It's our every intention and our every, well, it guides everything that we do. It's to glory the Father. Uh, Allie and I, when we go on vacation... This is the honest truth. One of the first things that we do, it doesn't matter where we go. We did it when we went to England. We do it when we go to California. We did it when we took the kids to Boston. Wherever we go, it doesn't matter if it's some backwater town in Oklahoma. The first thing that we do, before we check out the beaches or before we check out the tourist traps and all that, we check out the coffee scene. It's what we do. We check out, where are there any good coffee shops there? And we look and see what the coffee game is in that place. Shortly followed by the food scene, because we're foodies. We like food, and we like the different cultures, different foods. We want to eat good stuff. It literally does steer us oftentimes where we go. I remember going in Scotland, and we were taking little jaunts this way and that way so that we could try to pick up, pick up different uh, coffee places. It's what we do. It's what steers us. It's not too much to say that the purpose of our lives is found in following Christ and glorifying the Father in everything that we do. It steers us, or it should. It should direct us in everything, to some measure, in everything that we do. You know, I keep thinking to myself that we're not just good people who believe in God. We're God's people in whom He's working good. Right? We're not just good people that on the, you know... That's a good guy. He goes to church. He, he coaches his, his kids' football team. He, you know, he's a good guy. All, all of these things, and it's just kind of an addendum to their LinkedIn site or their, their, their man, I'm so out of the social media game these days. I can't even talk about it. But your Facebook status. No one uses Facebook anymore. Where am I going? Instagram. It's so his bio says that he's, you know, he's this and he's this and he's this and he goes to church and loves the Lord and all of these things. It's not an afterthought to be a Christian. It shouldn't be an afterthought that we glorify God. You know, I just want to glory God, glorify God in everything that, that I do. I appreciate it when people win the Super Bowl or do something fantastic. And they put a mic in front of their face and he says, First off, I, I need to give all the glory to, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm not looking to bash on anybody. 
But he says, I want to give all the glory. Did you see what I did? <laughs> you know, they go on and they do that sort of thing. And all of a sudden the glory is on trashing this guy that couldn't cover him and trashing that guy and, and really taking all that glory and bringing it back here. Now listen, I'm grateful, Lord. I'm grateful when the Lord is even given, even in pretense and even abbreviated perhaps, true honor. But when you say I give all the glory to Him, well, perhaps maybe not all of it. See what I'm saying? We need to not be a believer secondarily. It needs to not be something that we do as an addendum to our lives. We don't want to be people who go to church. We want to be people who live as Christ's church. Who we are. Our makeup. Our composition. God's glory should be our steering. Our shape. It should move our decisions. It should shade our thoughts. It should take our ambitions and steer them towards those things that God has for us. His glory should be our first consideration when we're looking at a decision to be made. And it should be the last one, too, to confirm. Those things, are, are they're not secondary considerations. It should be the primary consideration. And we see that done in the life of the Lord Jesus. Well, He's Jesus. Greggy, you understand this, right? He's the Son of God. He was perfect. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I have the mind of Christ. I have the spirit that Jesus said, I'm leaving so that he might come and teach you these things, guide you in these things, empower you in these things. We can't be Jesus, but we can be like him. And we can, well, fashion ourselves in his image, in the way that he walked. We can share certainly a like purpose. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Saints, that's who should glorify God in everything, are those ones who follow Jesus in glorifying Him in everything. How? We've already kind of touched on it. How do we glorify God? Well, the Word has much to say on this as well. Jesus Himself said in John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified. So pay attention. By this my Father is glorified. I like when Jesus makes it plain. Here's, here's the point. Here it is. This is, well, summing it right up tidily. That you bear much fruit. He wants you to be fruitful. So you'll be my disciples. That's how you bear much fruit in following after the Lord. Right? That's what our point was. We follow after Him. We are His disciples. So in following Him in His purpose, His ways, His desires, His methods, to the measure that we can accomplish those methods, praying often, praying without ceasing, all of the things that we see Him do, in those things and in purposing ourselves to the things that he purposed as his disciples, we can bear much fruit. By this, my father is glorified. Nearly every sermon I speak has some, some measure of thought that we be fruitful, that we take what we're learning and apply it to our lives that we can bear fruit. It's a central theme to all of, all of Scripture is that we glorify the Lord and have a fruitful and abundant life as a result. And it falls in line with that thought of the Lord God being glorified, and that being an integral part of our makeup. It, it's, it just falls right in line there that we bear fruit. For this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And as I seek that glory, I'm going to reap abundance of that. Whatever hour God has brought you to, whatever situation, whatever circumstance... Your life in and of itself is kind of a, a large hour, you might say. This is the hour you've been brought to. This, well, for me, 47-year hour. This hour I've been brought to, the whole purpose of that. For this purpose, I came to this time. This time has been appointed to me that the Lord be glorified. And all the little individual hours inside of it have been appointed to me. That God might be glorified. That fish that swallowed Jonah was appointed and purposed and set to Jonah as part of a means by which Jonah would go inside and go take, be drawn down and given opportunity to glorify the Lord in that. The Lord is working all of these things together. Whatever the hour that God has brought you to, you need to make it a purpose to follow Christ in that and glorify the Lord in it. Glorify Him. That's what Jesus, His whole purpose was. His whole desire was. Everything that He did. How might I glorify my Father in this? And He did. He satisfied that. 
We have a number of different hours. I'm not going to ask you to share with us what your hour is just now. What hour am I in as you're turning to 1 Peter chapter 4? What hour has the Lord brought you to even right now that you might be dealing with? That you can look at it and say to yourself, man, in this crummy situation that I have just been wrapping my mind around, how might I glorify God in this? That's awfully preachy talk and that's awfully biblical talk. How do we start off the lesson? We talk about glory all the time because it's a part of our makeup. It's a part of our composition, or at least it should be. How might I glorify God in this? Certainly to find his mind in it, find his will in it, and then it's to follow, follow the Lord Jesus' example of taking our respective cross and putting it on and bearing up in that hour. That's what we're to follow suit in. Carrying our respective crosses, you might say. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter tells us this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He, this is something we consider often. All of us are going to deal with the tribulations. We all have that in common, whatever the situation might be. We're given to deal with these things. But he, how we deal with those things is a little bit different. And that's what Peter says here. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you, take part, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed you may be glad with exceeding joy. Now let's look at this and kind of break it down just for a second. Don't think it's strange. You're dealing with trials just like everybody else is. But here's the difference. You're going to rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. So that means that however much you partake of His sufferings, you can rejoice to a commensurate level. So if we choose not to partake of those sufferings, how much rejoicing can we... Well, how much rejoicing are we entitled to? Hmm, none. <laughs> right? If we don't partake. But if we take that hour, that hour that He has appointed to us, and we say, this is from the Lord, this is what He has allotted to me, I'm going to take this from His hand as He took His own hour, His own sufferings from His Father's hand. And in so much as I'm doing this, I can rejoice that I'm participating with Him, following Him, carrying my own cross and sharing in that purpose of glorifying our Father together in this. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying there? Rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when His glory is revealed, and let me tell you, when you deal with your sufferings in a manner that reflects your position as a believer, when you... Rejoice in your sufferings in a measure and in a manner that reflects your glorifying your Father in it. People will see it. That when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Something isolated and specific for God's people. He goes on to explain further in verse 14. If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you. You... It's a good thing for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory, the very capability by which we might glorify our father, that we might accomplish what Jesus every purpose was. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you on their part. And that's he's speaking of the unbelieving Gentiles there. If you look in verse three of chapter four, but we won't or whomever might approach reproach you, whomever might cause you problems, whomever might bring any kind of. Ah, disparaging comment or view of you. On their part, he's blasphemed. But on your part, when you are reproached for his name, on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, someone truly associated with Christ, someone truly under his banner, someone truly sharing his purpose and his focus, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. That kind of wraps it up, doesn't it? For this hour, for this very purpose, I came to this hour. For this very purpose, this trial. For this struggle. On the next one, for this very purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus' hour stopped on that, well, when he let out his final breath. His, his hour was complete in His natural body on the cross. Whenever we pass a struggle, if it doesn't kill us, what do we always say? If something doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. Well, if you give it to the Lord, it will. 
Here we are. I've dealt with this. I've glorified God in this. And guess what? It can be put aside. Something else is coming down the pike. Certainly. But guess what? For this hour, for this purpose, I have come to this hour. To glorify God. Father, glorify your name in this. It's our purpose. As it was Jesus' purpose. For time's sake, I want to rather hurry through these last couple of scriptures here. Tonight, we're likely going to bookend this lesson with a consideration out of Exodus 33 and talking about that time when Moses asks the Lord to show him his glory. I'll look in Exodus 34 for right now and just kind of give you a spoiler alert if that is where we go this evening. Spoiler alert that the Lord didn't show Moses his entire glory because it would have vaporized him. It just simply is what it is. But he put him in a cleft and he put his hand over him and he was able to see his, his rear parts, his back parts. And we'll, again, probably consider that this evening. That being said... When the Lord revealed that measure of his glory to Moses and then subsequently brought his commandments to Moses, man, it was something that was just born out on Moses' very demeanor because he came down from that mountain and people were like, hey, you're shiny, Moses. Can you put something over this? And it says that they were afraid of him. Aaron even. Aaron even, one who was privy and in, in, in the inner circle of Moses. When Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. So he took care of that. And five verses later, it says, Whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses veiled his face because the glory of the Lord was essentially, to some measure, manifested on his face and it was scaring those people of Israel saints I'm going to tell you right now as you have the same shared purpose with the Lord Jesus to glorify God in everything and the Lord has shown on your hearts and shared his grace with you and the law has been put away and he has manifested himself through his spirit and offered this to everybody I'm going to tell you you aren't given to veil your face you aren't given to veil the glory of God that is shining on you as Moses was for for Israel then. The Lord tells us in Matthew chapter 5, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. How come? What's the purpose of your glorifying God? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, we wear these masks around here to protect ourselves from sharing viruses and sharing sicknesses and all those sorts of things. We don't shake hands as much these days. You know, I don't kiss anybody around these parts. You just don't want to share. The... <laughs> there are a lot of reasons why we don't smooch on each other, but we don't want to have viruses and bacteria and all of these things. So we mask up from time to time. We did for a long time there. Saints, we're not called to cover up our faces and to keep this to ourselves. We are called to be contagious with glorifying God. Be contagious with the light that He has shown on us. The people of the world have veiled their own hearts, Jesus goes on to say. We aren't given to hide our shining from Him, from those ones. Uh, How can we glorify God? You follow Jesus. You share His purpose. You cry out those things when the Lord gives you opportunity to cry out. Verbally, share the love of the Lord Jesus. Share His presence in your life. Even if it's merely a kind word or a smile to those people who are around. To cause them, whatever the situation might be. Even in passing. Let me say it this way. Nothing that we do should prompt someone to say, No way that person's a child of God. No way that person's a Christian. Nothing that we do should present that. We let the purpose of Jesus, glorifying His Father, we let it shine from the center of our lives so that others might see. If they want to veil themselves to it, that's between them and the Lord. But don't you veil yourself. Don't you veil the shine of the glorifying of the Lord God from your face, from your heart, from your life, from your everything. Saints, we talk about glorifying God a bunch. And we do so for a good reason. He's deserving, certainly. He's blessed us and blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. The Lord Jesus endorses the 
concept, the thought, the action of glorifying his Father. And we are indeed, I trust, agreed with him that that is something that is necessary. We have that shared purpose to glorify his Father in all things. Back in our text as we close here, recall that he said, this, for this hour I came, for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then there was an answer. A voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. That was his father responding back to him. And we know that his father did glorify Jesus. He glorified Jesus in his birth, immaculate, they call it. That virgin birth that he, well, miraculously entered into this world. The Lord glorified him in his life. He did again in his death. Did again in his resurrection. Saints, he's going to glorify him yet again in his return. How, how can you not glorify him? It's going to happen. Read about the end times in scripture and see that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord. He's going to be glorified. He was right when he said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. But saints, I take it a privilege to recognize the truth that he can be glorified again. Jesus himself, as we're sharing in this purpose with him, he can be glorified again in my life. When his father says, I have both glorified and will glorify it again. Part of that glorification is when I glorify the Lord Jesus himself. When his people glorify him in patterning themselves after him. When his people glorify him in asking things of his father in his name. Jesus takes a step back and points to his father. And as we share in a purpose in glorifying his father, we honor the Lord Jesus as well. And so we should. He is dear to us. He is our savior. The shine is going to come off of different pop stars, athletes and the like. But the shine is not going to come off of our Heavenly Father or the Lord Jesus. There is going to be a rejection of Him. There is going to be a darkening time in this world when all the vast majority of people are not going to heed His word if it's not already there. But that being said, it doesn't have to be so in my life. And it doesn't have to be so in your life. It doesn't have to be so in this assembly. We can glorify the Father by taking up that purpose, taking up the cross, taking up in our own hour the purpose that the Lord has for us, and that is to glorify our Father. If that's your desire, don't veil your face. Don't veil your heart. Take up your cross as a child of God. Agree with the Lord Jesus and shine the light of His blessing and presence in your life as we glorify His Father together.